1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Hi there, I'm Susan Humphries and you're listening to Sorry Partner.
3: Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about Bridge and all things interesting to Bridge players, brought to you by Bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starks. On today's program, we talk with Australian champion Susan Humphreys about the importance of mentors in her development as a player, the pleasure of being part of the worldwide Bridge community and her addiction to the game, as well as hear her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz.
4: Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Fine. And how's your week then? Um,
3: <laughs> well, you would have just wanted to smack me yesterday. I had just a classic brain fog. I was talking with my partner before the game. She and I usually just have a brief chat. And she she usually plays with her pro earlier in the day and so she was telling me about a snafu that she'd had with him where she'd opened a spade in third seat and then he'd responded two clubs, Drury, right, showing a limit raise in spades with three spade support and my partner had a singleton club and so she now bid four clubs as a splinter and for some reason her partner forgot that it was a shortage and passed. Oh god. Yeah, I know. So they only had four clubs between them
4: oh my god
3: and somehow they only went off one which is unbelievable though also very sad because everyone else was in game anyway so she and I laughing about it <laughs> and she's letting off steam and venting a little bit about her partner you know which is fine we all understand that's fine and then our game started and the very first hand right the auction goes pass, pass to me in third seat and I for one stage. I was thinking to myself, oh, isn't this ironic? I bet my partner bids two clubs, Drury. Ha 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 ha. And then my left hand opponent passes. Guess what? My partner bids two clubs, Drury, just as I had been thinking about literally seconds ago. I, I don't know what, somehow in that moment, some switch flicked in my head and I managed to switch from thinking Drury to deciding it was a natural club bid. Oh, my God. And I've opened light, but I do have four clubs, and so I passed. I mean, what gives? I I honestly don't understand myself. She had two clubs in her hand. We went off three. Everyone else was in two spades making three, and that was a zero for us. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, we ended up second overall, so it wasn't too bad, but we would have obviously been first if I just bid two spades. I honestly. Don't know what
4: happened. Well, I don't call those brain fogs. I call those brain farts. And they are way too common an occurrence with me. I mean, I have, I can't tell you how many times Drury has been forgotten at the table. I actually think I've heard this um, anecdotally that it is the most commonly or frequently forgotten agreement at the table. I mean, everybody says they play it and then they get to the table and they forget that they play it. Oh my God.
3: I know I've forgotten it in much more, um, or rather, I've forgotten it in much less typical situations. I mean, I don't play Drury a lot with other partners. And so I know earlier on when you and I were playing together, I would not infrequently forget it, but I typically remember it now, but I mean, I was literally just thinking about it. Uh, you know, sometimes it's almost like someone raises a specter of something and and I think there's a part of one's brain that just cannot
4: help stepping into the abyss. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my God. I have a similar type of just mental block, to put it nicely, about a convention that a, uh, a certain partner of mine likes to play called Philip Martin Doubles. And I could never even begin to explain them to you. It's like you use a double after interference over no trump to say a very specific type of hand. But it's sort of a negative double. It's not really. It's just it drives me nuts. And she loves them. And I <laughs> screw it up every chance I get. And I know that I'm really begging her. Can we not do these anymore? But she loves them so much. I guess that's the price I have to pay if I want to have a happy partner. Yeah. Well, a happy partner is a happy life, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Speaking (laughs) of Drury, do you remember that time when we were playing online and we had opponents who bid a two-club bid as a past hand over a partner's major and we could not get an explanation about the bid? (laughs) Oh, you do? Yes. And we were both asking and just getting (laughs) no explanation available, nothing. It was not clear. It was really screwing with us. And we called the director. The director went off on that player. And I even wrote it down, what what she said or he said to Albert. Albert, (laughs) please respond. Albert. Albert. Albert, two clubs, was not alerted. This is all caps. Fantastic. It was explained after the fact. That's right. Eventually, at the end of the auction, he explained it. There is a huge difference. Albert, do you (laughs) know how to properly alert? (laughs) It just, it was like this harangue and it was about Drury and it was, it was just so funny. That's hilarious. I, I could barely play after that because I was laughing so hard.
3: <laughs> Though it kills me because obviously if Albert knew how to properly alert, Albert would have properly alerted. I'm not clear that Albert properly even knew how to read the messages in the lobby. Right. I bet Albert did not respond to the director either.
4: Right. No. And of course, they had no convention card. They did not pre-alert anything. And it was a tournament. You know, it was yeah, yeah. It was kind of ridiculous.
3: Yeah. Shabby. It's shabby, Jocelyn. Shabby.
4: Yes. yes. Well, I,
3: I, um, I had a look in our mailbag to see if I could find a couple of related letters. And I have a letter from Anonymous with two anecdotes, which <laughs> I'll read to you. They're just short. So this is from Anonymous. And it, the subject line is two dummies, which is cute. So here we go. One day at my club, back before bidding boxes, when we use pens and paper to write down bids, a lady wrote down eight. Because she had eight (laughs) points. Did you ever have, was there a life for
4: you before bidding boxes? Do you remember it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I played party bridge or kitchen bridge, whatever people, casual bridge with lots of wine. And you just uttered, you spoke your bid. Okay. And it was a free for all. I mean, we had, there were no rules. There were no conventions. There was no, there, you know, there was so much table talk. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, once I went to the club and learned about bidding boxes, it was like a whole different game.
3: It's not uncommon in Australia still that people maybe write down their bids and they have these specially printed pads that sit in the centre of the table. And um, if you've been used to playing with bidding boxes, it's quite an affront. And if you're, if you're used to writing down the bids, people get so confused with the bidding boxes. Anyway, Anonymous has one more short anecdote, which is, once towards the end of a session at my club, I was playing a hand. My partner came down as dummy, and then the lady on my right also came down as dummy. But the weird thing was, <laughs> it took them two chips before anybody noticed.
4: Well, that gives new meaning to the concept of double dummy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So if you have any stories about mishaps at the table, forgetting to alert your conventions, a harangue by a director, or really any funny story related to Bridge, please send it to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voice message at www.speakpipe.com slash sorrypartnerpodcast. The link is also in the show notes. Coming up next, our interview with Susan Humphreys. Susan Humphreys grew up in a bridge-playing family. Her father is New Zealand champion Dennis Humphreys. But it wasn't until she took lessons at the local club that he took her under his wing. She has since emerged as a champion in her own right, having played for the New Zealand youth team and then the New Zealand women's team. In 2016, she moved across the ditch to Australia and now plays for the Australian women's team. We started by asking her about her earliest memory of the game.
2: And it wasn't really the card game, but it was more the atmosphere because we'd be dragged around to these bridge tournaments or go on holiday. And well, we were on holiday, but my father was playing bridge or, you know, (laughs) so in the bar, you know, you could get pink lemonade or something. That was kind of my first image of Bridge.
4: Did he make you do any caddying during those early years when you were drinking your lemonades while he was playing tournaments?
2: No, we never got into caddying. I have a brother as well, but no, I I don't know why, but no, we just didn't.
3: (laughs) So just going back, do you remember anything about maybe some of the early games that you played?
2: Yeah, because looking back, you can see all these card games we played as kids. We're building blocks to the bridge. We played this game called Strip Jack Naked. And basically, it's a really simple game. You deal with all the cards out to everyone. And it's a bit like Snap, as You're just turning them over in a pile. But the thing is, ace is four, king is three, queen is two, jack is one. And basically, if one of those picture cards come up, the next player has to turn over so many of their cards until another picture card comes up. Or if no picture cards come up and say it was a king and three threes come up or something, then the player who played the king gets the pile of cards. And the aim was basically to win all the cards. And then other games slide up and down the river. There's variations of this game, but for us it started with one card. So there was like three of you. you deal out one card to everyone, and then a card would be turned up, and that was trumps. And then you'd have to go around and say how many tricks you thought you were going to win with that. But an added thing was, say there was three cards, everyone couldn't say one, one, one. It couldn't add to three. So you had to be over or under. So someone was always going to miss out. And we just play these games all the time. And we did a lot of family holidays and, you know, to the beach or skiing all that kind of stuff, and... TVs and well back in my day the internet definitely wasn't available in those remote places so the board games and card games definitely came out.
3: Just thinking about those holidays so the ones where you were following your dad around to these various tournaments do you have any memory of that do you remember being excited say at the end of the school year for the holiday knowing that you were going to a tournament or were there other kids of other champions that you used to hang out with?
2: Yeah so in New Zealand there was only one big tournament a year And back in those days when I was a child, it was in July. So it was kind of like the winter holidays for New Zealand. And my dad would play with his bridge partner and they had a family of kids around the same age. And I remember staying with them in one place and it was just so much fun. Like, (laughs) you know, we'd all hang out together or read stories or that kind of stuff.
3: So it just seemed like a natural progression for you to start playing bridge.
2: Yeah, I asked... I basically was doing this program at school which was called the Duke of Edinburgh program obviously from the UK but got you involved in the outdoors learning new skills helping the community you know learning a new sport that kind of thing and so one of these things I was like well I could learn bridge for this (laughs) and so I asked my dad would he teach me and he was like well no but I'll send you off to the local bridge club to learn the foundations because I think there's just so much you need to be taught at a beginner level that maybe at his level, he probably just didn't, you just can't see some of that stuff sometimes. You've got to learn that how to count the points, sort the card, all that kind of stuff.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.
0: Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
4: Is your dad a bridge teacher? No. No. Okay, so that makes sense.
2: Yeah. He's a Nes teacher, so he, he he's a good teacher. But um, he just wanted me to learn the foundations from the bridge club. And to be honest I learn it and then 2 months later I learned a whole lot of new things <laughs> from him.
4: From him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably good that way there's probably a structured approach that a bridge teacher who's used to teaching beginners.
2: Yeah, exactly.
4: Knows exactly what you need and then you can be released.
2: Yeah, released to the <laughs> there's so much you don't know when you come out of those lessons as well. Like we I mean, obviously, in America, it's mainly, you know, standard American. and In Australia, it is as well. But in New Zealand, you mainly learn Apple, so the weak, no trump, and that kind of thing.
4: Oh, that's so interesting. So like in England?
2: Yeah, like pretty much like in England. I think that is changing a little bit now. But I learned Apple, and I learned strong twos. That was the first thing that I got rid of. My dad was like, no, no, no one plays it anymore, weak twos.
4: Do you remember any other things that after your lessons seemed so, just so far afield from anything that you had done during the lessons that your dad oh, yeah. was teaching you? Oh,
2: yeah. Well, not This wasn't what my dad was teaching me, but like you first went to the club and you were in, thrown into the deep end. And the auction goes, one no trump from the opponents. And I had learned that if you had 15 plus points, you could double a strong hand. Anyway, so I doubled. And then the next person redoubled. And I was like, what on earth is that? <laughs> you yeah, know, I'd never seen that bit before. Because it's interesting, if you learn now with a bidding box or even online, you can see the redouble and you kind of ask, you know, what that is. But I'd never been introduced to it. So I'd never seen these two kisses. And it was just, oh, just eye opening. Like,
4: <laughs> can I re redouble? Yeah. Is there another suit? <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, another funny thing was my first tournament we played was at the Bridge Club I learned. And I was playing with a, a young guy that I'd with from my high school. And it was this tournament in New Zealand called the New Zealand White Fairs. And all the clubs around the country are playing the same boards on the same evening. And then you, you score up in your club, but then it gets re over the whole country. And... You know, I've never seen the bridge club so full with all these people, you know. And my mum and dad came and played as well. And my dad warned me. He's like, if some people open a club, they might not have clubs. <laughs> so that's, that's what I had in my head, right? And he obviously was talking, you know, maybe some people opening a strong club at Precision. But anyway, he didn't go that far in telling me that. of these people opened the club. And I had all these clubs. And I was like, oh, okay. But you know, I did know we had just learned Michael's as well. So I knew I couldn't bid two clubs. But anyway, you know, I went bid, bid. And then they were I don't know if they were stopping in two hearts or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm going to bid these clubs now. Three clubs, I say. And obviously, I got doubled. The guy had a stake of clubs as well. <laughs> but I was like, I went to my dad afterwards. I said, you said that people bid clubs without clubs. <laughs> You know, you just didn't go further to say it had to be alerted, you had to be told, (laughs) you know. And obviously, I didn't really know time, but this pair that we play was a really good pair in New Zealand. And I've subsequently played a lot of bridge with this guy, and he loves telling everyone this story.
4: That's that
3: is funny. So, when did you first know that you were good at it?
2: When I was good at bridge. I probably wasn't for the first couple of years, but I got this opportunity to go to Australia and play in the Youth Bridge event in Canberra
0: in January
2: and then stay on and play the Summer Festival of Bridge as well. And look, I was very green and it was actually my first trip to Australia. You know, I hadn't been outside of New Zealand before and I was just so excited, and you go to this youth event, and there's just all these people around your same age, or maybe a bit older because I was pretty young then and then, after that, I just basically got hooked, and I was playing on b b o with these people from Australia and playing one or two times in the week, or now it was playing you know four times a week <laughs> so I think I probably knew I was getting quite good when top players were helping me develop my game but did you have a
3: feeling about it could you sense that something was different in terms of your approach with the game
2: oh yeah I mean I learned you know I was probably one well I learned with another guy of my same age but obviously the rest of the lesson group was a lot older and I did play a lot with this one lady but you could you know you could just see it clicking a lot quicker than what she was getting And I think that obviously helped with my dad playing as well. And, you know, I could go home and discuss, what did this mean? Would I mean to take the ace or should I not take it? Or what should you lead here? And then the conversations just kept coming.
4: Susan, do you have a favourite tournament that you most like to play?
2: Yeah, my favourite tournament is the Gold Coast Congress in Australia in February each year. And I've played it pretty much every year I can and, and will continue to for the rest of my life. It's just such a good event. They are so welcoming. It's a holiday, kind of as well, it's set on a really nice coastline, fabulous restaurants, and lots of international players come to the event as well. So we get great exposure to other players. The Congress also has a special place in my heart because I proposed to my fiance there, and I don't think he had a clue whatsoever. But it was at the end of the tournament, and we have a dine and dance event to hand out the prizes and just have a great night socializing. So before we went to that, he was getting ready, and you know, I said to him, "I've got a hand for you. You know, what would you bid on this?" And most of the hands that we describe, we start with the shape. So I said to him, "I've got a hand. I've got a 415 and he's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah." And I said, "Oh, I've written it down." So. I handed him this bit of paper, and it said, spades, hearts, diamonds, clubs, and will you marry me? And it was, will was four, and you the letter for one, five, marry me, and question mark for three. So, oh. <laughs> that was, and he paused, but then, yes, he did say yes. <laughs> that was nice.
3: It's very sweet. It's very sweet. <laughs> I was interested in your move from New Zealand to Australia because you now play for the Australian national team, is that correct? Yeah. And what happened? What was the story behind your move to Australia?
2: Well, Liam was here in Australia.
3: So it was partly because of your partner?
2: It was 100% because of my partner.
3: (laughs) So otherwise you'd still be in New Zealand, is that right? Probably, yeah. Okay. And so do you feel any um, discomfort about the fact that you're now playing... For Australia rather than for New Zealand?
2: No, no, I don't. If it was like a test match between Australia and New Zealand, I'd always root for New Zealand. You know, that's where I grew up.
3: That's cricket, by the way, for people like you, Jocelyn.
2: (laughs) But there's a lot more opportunities in Australia for bridge. I'm not a professional bridge player, but just in the amount of tournaments that, that are on offer over here, I mean, I was coming over a lot anyway.
3: What's the strangest, almost unexpected place that you've played bridge?
2: I used to work as an auditor, and we'd have to go around for these site visits to check up and stock and that kind of stuff. And it was all over New Zealand and these regional towns. And so, you know, I'd have fame lined up on you know whatever Wednesday evening. I played. I played at Nelson. I played in Queenstown. All these places. You'd go for work, but I'd try and fit in some boots as well. So work we colleagues, they all thought I was mad as that, but I loved it.
4: <laughs> That's great. Did you find any partners in any of these adventures that you continue to play with on BBO or when you go back to that town or city?
2: No, not really. I did have a pretty cool experience when I played my first American nationals. It was in Toronto, and my boyfriend was going and so I said yeah I'll come too and he already had a team lined up but I didn't have anyone to play with but a Kiwi um, that was now living in Vancouver I emailed her I was like oh you know would you come play or do you know anyone that you can hook me up with and through her connections I had a partner lined up for every game and subsequently gone back and played with this one lady so it's really nice.
4: What is the closest you've ever come to quitting Bridge?
2: oh no I'm not a quitter at all I mean I love this game and it it's actually an addiction probably more than an obsession and a passion you've just got to understand and everyone's going to understand that you're going to have these bad results you're going to have a bad board you're not going to win all the time no I just keep coming back for more you play this hand and the simp breaks 5-0 you know and you're there's no way you could make that hand. There's no way. But when you talk to top players, how did you make that hand with the two breaking 5-0? And they show you, and you've got to shorten your trumps, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And you just learn something new all the time. This game is just layers upon layers of foundations of learning. And there's definitely going to be roadblocks. <laughs> but you just got to have a laugh and try and learn from them and one of my weaknesses is probably slow down a bit, think a bit more about the hand. Don't just think of the best possible scenario. What about the worst, you know, kind of thing.
3: Do you have a favourite convention?
2: My favourite convention is probably um, Roman keycard because I love slam so much. And in my friend group, they all say, oh, yeah, Susan, her old friend came out, <laughs> the keycard came out and off she went. So that, that's probably my favourite my favorite convention. But anything anything that you can get into the auction and tell your partner more about, like, I love Landy over No Trump, I love Michael's, anything you can keep fitting, basically.
4: Is there a particular convention that you despise or think is a complete waste of time?
2: Well, I mean, I haven't played it for years, but, like, Gerber. I don't need Gerber in my system. People play minor wood as well. Can't stand that either. This is the thing: Sanford actually loves spitting slams. There's these three things: so Gerber, minor wood, and kickback. And then there's Blackwood. There's four different things that you can use to say, you know, ask the same thing. Oh, I just like the nice and simple one. You know, there's no, oh, is it, is it, is that asking me for aces or is it not? And obviously, we've got rules about four trumps when there's certain situations where it's quantitative and when it is key card and that kind of stuff. But you build those. Whereas if you just randomly bid four clubs in the middle of an auction, is it good or is it clubs? And I mean, I've been trying to develop some intermediate players and they play it and I'm like, huh, oh, no. And I mean, they have the rule over only only over a no-trump and that's right, right? Only over a no-trump. But it's not only after a no-trump auction when you've bid another three suits. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just when you've opened a no-trump and you have bid four clubs or two no-trumps, four clubs. It's not transfer, four clubs. Right. So I think there's lots of these kind of things where if you actually less is more, like if you remove some of these things, I think people's game would improve more. All the confusion would go.
3: And what's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given?
2: Oh, my best bridge tip that I've been given is aggressive to game, conservative to slam. I may not be following it very well, but you really need to get in the auction to get to those games. You're not going to make every one of them, but the bonus is definitely worthwhile.
4: That's great. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so much fun chatting with you here.
3: I really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thanks very much for having me on the show.
3: And that's the show. Thanks to Susan Humphreys. This program is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy.
4: Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com. Or send us a voice message at www.speakpipe.com/slash/sorrypartnerpodcast. The link is also in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your
3: finesses be on side. And remember, as Susan says, be aggressive to game, conservative to slam. Thank you, partner.